morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Oh, I'm so excited that you guys are here. If you're new, allow me to welcome you. Uh, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesset. Thank you very much for being here. We're in a series right now called Crimson, and we're studying through the book of Acts for this summer. And uh, it's, been, it's been really insightful and um, kind of sobering to, to follow a book and sort of dive into whatever the book's talking about that week. For me, uh, especially the, the first few years of ministry, I did almost everything topical. So whatever I was feeling, whatever I was wrestling with, that's what I would preach about. And I'm very comfortable topical, uh, and, and I'm comfortable doing a book study, but sometimes when you do book studies, you end up with weeks like this one, where the passages you're walking through, at least when I started studying them, I wasn't really feeling. And I actually told my team, I said, hey, I, I just don't think I'm going to do this. I'm just going to move on to a part of the book that I'm, that I'm feeling. And they didn't, they didn't respond to that so well, because when you're teaching a book, you're, you're teaching a book. And I thought, well, this, this just isn't really where I'm at. See, as Paul goes out and Peter goes out and they, they, they found the church, there's all these wonderful things that are happening. And I'm in a pretty wonderful mood the last few weeks. Uh, I, I had a great vacation with my family a month ago or so. It's sunny out. It's summer. We have a lot going on with our building. I'm excited. Pastor Tom's going to give an announcement here in a few weeks, and it's all good stuff. And I was like, I, was like, I don't really want to talk about this next season of Paul, specifically his, his ministry, because this next season of Paul's ministry is all struggle. It's all trial. It's all difficulty. And I'm like, I, I'm not struggling. I'm not having difficulty. So let's skip to the powerful stuff. Let's skip to the, to the good stuff, to the colorful stuff, to the stuff the people want to hear and the Holy Spirit wants to have taught. Well, as I was wrestling with this, I, of course, was corrected by many on the team and the Holy Spirit eventually. And he said, listen, there's some stuff for you here. You're going to need to slow down and kind of evaluate this. And so that's exactly what happened. And I know at the nine o'clock service, it was just a blessing to see what God did with all of you and with my week and, and with his word. So uh, we're going to stay in that vein. I'm going to pray for you that, that whatever you brought in that you think you need, whatever you brought in that you think you're supposed to hear, that you, like me, would, would uh, be corrected, that you would be slowed down, that God would say, hey, I, I got some stuff I want to do. I realize you think you're all talented and gifted and you know what's going on in life and you know what's best for you. But the reality is, we show up at church, and as Dave said during worship, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, and sometimes that means he guides us into places we don't really want to talk about. Uh, nine o'clock service, we talked about some stuff that I did not think was coming out. It was not in my sermon notes, and I'm hoping it doesn't come out this service. <laughs> That's my hope. I'm going to stay rebellious to the end, people. Rebellious to the end. But, but I do know this, that that God uses these things, and I think he's going to use it now. So let me pray for us. We'll just kind of gather up uh, emotionally and mentally, go before the Lord, and say, God, we're here before you today to, to learn from you, to talk to you, to uh, listen, uh, and to be guided. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought every person in this room together today, that you orchestrated the steps, that you removed the obstacles. We ask now, Lord, that they would be willing uh, and that I would be willing to set down any agenda, anything that we may have that we want to accomplish or we want to see uh, brought to light, that, God, it would instead be exchanged for whatever you want to bring to light. Anything, Lord, that would get in the way of that, may you remove. May you bring freshness to our stories and freshness to our perspective as we talk about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 14. I said just a moment ago that Paul is, is really diving into situation after situation, and that's really where the book kind of takes a turn. It begins to follow Paul much more than Peter, and it follows him with different kinds of partners and different kinds of situations. And what you're going to see uh, in that next four or five chapters, if you were to just kind of pick up from last week and continue on, is this theme over and over and over again within Paul's life of perseverance. This theme that 
that he just really didn't care what happened to him as long as the message of God got moved forward and as long as he was where God wanted him and when. And so I was studying this, and again, I was thinking, I'm not wrestling with perseverance. I'm, I'm wrestling with all kinds of other wonderful things, and so how is this going to apply to me? And if I can't see how it applies to me, how am I going to speak a genuine, authentic message? Like, that's my thing. I'm like one of the people, and I talk from where I'm at, I don't just get up and tell people what the Bible wants them to know. I've got to feel this. And so I sat in it, truly uh, willing to receive whatever correction the Lord had in mind. But I was like, show me. We've had a great year. We're on the verge of starting a remodel. We're on the verge of moving into a new building. We're on the verge of ministry uh, like I've never seen before. So, so what do you got to show me, God? And so I started reading. It says that Paul and Barnabas were in a city, and the city's name was Lystra. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and listen to this. Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. I just want you to know, this is a verse about people who pay attention in church. That's what this verse is about right here. And so some of you, the reason you've never received anything from a sermon is because you don't pay attention. It says Paul looked out in the crowd and he saw someone paying attention and he was like, you deserve healing. And the man was healed. So I'm just saying, if you're, if you're distracted and you don't receive anything from the spirit, maybe that's not my problem. Maybe that's your problem. <laughs> Uh, it said he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us like the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. So what happened is they're in this pagan town because as we know, Paul is specifically called to pagan or Gentile people, people who aren't Jews. And he's preaching the gospel to them. And these people are looking at this situation with, from within their own uh, circumstances. And what they know is that the only real gods that exist are the pagan gods like Zeus and Hermes. And so they see Paul heal this man in service. And immediately they believe and they profess and they confess with their mouth that this is Zeus and Hermes in the flesh. And so they take the miracle of God and they warp it into something that fits their standard, that fits their way of seeing the world. Now, I'm not saying everybody does this. I'm just saying everybody does this. Amen. Everybody does this. You see something and you're like, eh, that kind of offends me. So I'm going to take 80%. I'm going to leave 20%. And then that's really what it means for me. Because then this is a common thing that the Bible's very clear on. This is, this is, I don't mean to offend you because this ranges everywhere from, from racy television to talk shows to children's shows now, that you have some kind of truth within you. And that if you just seek your truth, you'll be okay. Jesus says that's a lie. Jesus says that's actually the foundation for foolish living. A foolish person sees the world, warps it upside down, and then proclaims it their truth. Jesus says, and I quote, of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You can't have life without truth, and you can't have truth unless you're willing to follow Jesus down the way. You don't get to define truth for you. These people tried. Paul performs a miracle because a good person in the church was taking notes and paying attention. That man jumps up. People say, it can't be the God he's talking about, it has to be our God. And they begin to want to sacrifice to them. They even get their priest out to sacrifice to them. And the priest of Zeus, who was uh, at the temple at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Verse 14, but when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God defined as the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
He says, you are seeing this from your human perspective. And because you're seeing this from your human perspective, you have warped it to fit into your foolish ideology. And now because you have this ideology, no matter what happens, God could heal someone in front of you. God could heal you. You're still going to give credit to your pagan ways of thinking. They say this with so much passion, the term tore their clothes, for they literally expressed great grief from the outside in. And then it says, bottom verse 18, even with these words, the words they shared with them, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. They're saying, don't worship me. I'm not a God. I'm just a human. But they're, they're pagan uh, uh, materialistic, superficial, broken ways are so ingrained in who they are. They are so blinded to this truth that God bestows before them that even when the miracle maker says, give credit to God, they give credit to the world. They give credit to something that they can control, something that they can know. Now, this passage uh, for me is, is interesting because uh, over and over and over, what you're going to see inside the story of Paul, and as I said, different companions, is this same kind of theme, that he shows up where God wants him to show up, and that he does what God asks him to do, i.e. heal a man, or, or cast out a demon, or preach the good word, and every single time, someone in the vicinity attacks that goodness, attacks that mission, attacks that calling that God has placed on his heart. Now, you would think that most of the time, the people who would attack that are the people you're denouncing. But in Paul's case, he gives us wonderful insight into the wisdom of perseverance in that oftentimes, and I will say this is true of people I sit with as well, that it's not the community you're denouncing or the community you're saying you need to rethink the truth. It's the people in your own community who don't like the tone by which you spoke the truth to others. It's not loving enough it's not gentle enough, or it's too loving, and it's too gentle. I have never experienced the kind of political correctness that I experience right now. I broke on stage last week a little bit and talked a little bit about some of the questions that are being asked of me. And the reality is it really doesn't matter what I say anymore. It matters mostly how I say it. And it matters not just how I say it, but how I say it and who I'm around. Because I have been applauded with great accolades at some of the things I've said. And then in the same service had someone come up and say, destruction. And, and this is just the reality of the world we live in right now. This is just where we're at. And this has been happening for years. No more than, or no less, I don't think, than any other uh, occasion, but especially lately within the church. In Paul's case, if you think that that, that times are hard, right? That Facebooking's difficult, that you gotta be careful what you step into. Here's Paul healing a man, proclaiming to the priest of the local church, hey, it's not what you think it is. And then those people nearly sacrificing him and listen to who steps into the pictures, verse 19. Two words, but Jews. These are his people. These are the people that he is a priest of. These are the people that Jesus came. These are the people that Jesus ministered to. But these are also the people that have the most to lose if Paul's pagan mission works because Paul is bringing people that don't fit into the system into the church and the Jews own the church. And so it's the Jews that quietly strike like a snake beneath a bush. And it's amazing how fast it happens. You know it didn't happen like the author said, just boom, boom. They were watching, they were evaluating, they were conspiring, they were talking, they were waiting for just the right time. And then suddenly they struck. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. It wasn't the pagans that attacked him. It was his own people. And they drag him out of the city and they surround him and they curse him and they throw stones at him and they bring bleeding and bruising. They literally, it says, threw stones at him till he stopped moving because they thought he was dead. And they leave. But God's not done with Paul. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. And entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby to continue to preach the word. What is wrong with him is the question we all should be asking. Now, I understand having a calling. I feel like that's something 
that's a part of my life. I understand being devoted. I understand, as I studied this, that I'm supposed to do a sermon on perseverance today because that supposedly is what the Holy Spirit wants. But if God's requiring that kind of devotion of me, then I need to understand what that means for my life, and I think so do you. And so I aggressively begin to unpack this. Now, I want to be careful because for me, being aggressive with the Lord is a common thing. It doesn't mean I'm disrespectful. It doesn't mean that I'm not believing faithfully that he will show me, but my God is a big God and he's a strong God and he can handle it when I pout. A lot of you need to get way better at pouting. I mean, just, just pout before the Lord, be frustrated, drive around, and I tell all my friends. I sent this message to Alyssa who helps me and I said, lame sermon, number one. That was the title of the sermon. She said, you cannot name your sermons that. I said, I'm gonna call it that from stage. Lame sermon, number one. Because I always do drafts and this was lame sermon, number one. And, and I was like, I don't like anything about this. This is nowhere near where I'm at in my life. God called Paul to do a thing. He got his butt whooped, came back alive and kept doing his thing. Who wants to hear that on Sunday morning? Okay, one lady, front row. Does anybody else want to hear that on Sunday morning? Good for you, good for you. <laughs> here's, here's what you need to know about Paul. Paul knew from the beginning that this was going to be part of his calling. He understood something from the beginning that the rest of us, I think, perhaps forgot or conveniently sort of set aside. And it's setting back quietly within his calling. Acts chapter 9, verse 13 and 16. Paul has been blinded, okay, on the road to Emmaus. He goes and sits in a house and he waits. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. He waits in the dark for he doesn't know what. God goes to a man named Ananias, and he says to Ananias, you are a friend of the church, Ananias. I want you to go to Saul at the time. I want you to go to Saul, also known as Paul, and I want you to lay your hands on him, and I want you to heal him. And Ananias says, God, uh, listen, I'm all about perseverance, but the reality is I don't want to go see this man, Saul slash Paul, because he attacks the church, and he kills people, and he might kill me. And he says that to the Lord. He pouts. Verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So he says, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why are you walking me into this difficult situation? But then the Lord highlights something that Ananias needed to know, that we need to know, and that especially Saul, soon to be mainly called Paul, will soon not only know but embrace. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He weaves into the story this reality. He weaves into the story this truth that Paul is not just going to be a Christ follower. He's going to be an example for all who read of his following. And that following is going to have woven within it deep, deep suffering. This actually will be what his ministry is about. Paul himself clearly recognizes this reality as part of his calling. We're going to look now at multiple verses of Paul as he leads us through what it means to persevere and embrace a calling of suffering, which I think you and I are both going to find out is a beautiful and horrible thing but is built into these callings that are placed upon all of our lives to follow that narrow road of Jesus. He recognizes this as part of his calling, I think probably most clearly stating it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I'm going to talk like a madman, listen to me, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Has anyone here ever even received two lashes for Jesus? Where someone ties you down, rips up, open your shirt, and actually whips you for the sake of... No, of course not. Paul is listing that he has received it multiple times. That he has received it five times. Three times he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was sown. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is a man called and anointed by God to move the church forward and to proclaim the gospel to people who not only have no clue who he is, Okay, they're not, not, not only are they blinded because of their own re- religiosity, they're also people who don't want to know who he is in the pagan world. He is called to move this thing forward, and that's what his ministry looks like. I mean, if I was coaching him as a church planner, I would encourage him to get a different job. <laughs> I would, because most of us have built our careers around our successes, around what we do well. Paul says, I was called to do this thing for Jesus, and here's what happened. I was beaten, I was stoned, I was whipped, I was homeless, I was hungry, I was naked, I was cold, I was shipwrecked. He embraces this idea that many of us have sat down, that many of us have forgotten about. He embraces this idea, and he says, this is who I'm called to be. Now, as Christians, I know this isn't a very summer campy message. I, I know. And I know that if you brought friends today, you're thinking, why couldn't this be more of a summer campy message? <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, if you are a Christ follower, or if you are researching, or feeling called, or feeling led to, to seek out what it means to be a Christ follower, you are going to experience a level of brokenness in your own life before you have your eyes opened like Paul did, a level of darkness in your life before you have your eyes opened. You are all saved through suffering anyways. Because until you realize your own weakness, the Bible says, why would you bask in the strength of the Lord? If the Lord is just an addendum to your already well-lived life, What need is there of him? What purpose is there? But what's amazing is that we, I include myself in this, come to Christ through the realization that I am broken, that I am in great need, and then we take the parts of him we want, the parts that bring us completion, and then when he pushes us to that next level, that next place of brokenness, that next place of self-realization, that next place of self-evaluation, we say, oh, Lord, (laughs) that's not the truth I'm interested in. I have discovered through the wholeness you've given me my own truth. We take the paradise, Adam and Eve, that God gave us, and we say, God, I know you're at the center of the garden, but we'd love for you to step out, for we have knowledge. We have wisdom. We have know-how. We're going to sit at the center of the garden. Do you know what God simply did with Adam and Eve? He simply gave them what they wanted. They became the center of the universe. And the universe started spiraling out of control and has continued to spiral out of control ever since. God says, I will step back into your universe, not the whole universe. I am the, yes, I am God, but I'm allowing this thing to unfold, okay? We understand that. We understand that, that God is sovereign, but that he allows these things to happen. But what I want to do is step into your universe and show you me. And the only way you can do that, oftentimes, is to experience struggle. Now, the last three months, I have experienced a private struggle. Just me and a few other people know this thing that I'm dealing with, and so I'm going to share it with you now. It came out last service, and I guess it's supposed to come out this service. <sighs> it's open for one solid church campy service we could put online, but apparently they're both going to be this. So the last year and a half, we have surfed an amazing wave of momentum at our church. It started off with us kind of releasing everything, giving everything to God, saying we're done looking for a building, we're just going to be his church, and of course God to get full credit and glory, showed up and gave us a building. That building then came with a whole bunch of uh, things that had to be well-led. And I felt like, God, you have trained me for this. 
I have been a part of another church that grew quite large. I got to be a missionary overseas. I, I humbly and gently know exactly what we're supposed to do now. <laughs> and so we took our hands off it because that's what we were supposed to do. We said, God, you show us how to do it. You make it happen. We're so excited. We're just, we're just going to bask in the presence of your incredibleness. And God blessed us. We've had more visitors than we've ever had. We've had more attendance than we've ever had. We have had for a year and a half record-breaking giving. It's crazy. I've never been a part of a church that had this healthy of giving in my life, especially being a church that's not someone beating the pulpit for your pocketbooks. And I thought, part of this is because I know exactly what to do. Well, as the permit process continued on, we, along with every other builder in this community, got put into a slow, moving, methodical kind of pace. Now, Danny doesn't do slow or methodical. Danny does vision. Danny does trail breaking. Danny does mountain climbing or tunnel digging. It doesn't matter. I'll go up or I'll go through it. I don't care whatever, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to preach to these pagans and I'm going to get this thing done because God has given us the mission. He's called us. Get across that ocean. Walk into that city. I'm reading the earlier verses in the series and I'm like, this is a perfect series for us. Look at the courageousness of him. Look how he's standing firm. Look how God's removing the scale from his depraved eyes. I'm all about depravity. I am so depraved. That's why I'm so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let that soak in for a second. So sitting there, the last two months, all of a sudden, we haven't been able to give updates like we want because there's things we just don't know. And I start to get antsy. And I get quiet because I'm not one who runs around with his head cut off screaming, the sky is falling. But inside, the sky is falling, people. Because for the first time a month ago, we didn't make budget. Now, let me be clear. Our leadership has planned for this. Summers happen. Especially in the Northwest, the sun is your enemy in the Northwest if you're a church planner, okay? Because when the sun comes out, people go jet skiing, they don't come sit at church because there's only like 17 days of sun in our whole, <laughs> and they're all going to be used at the lake, especially if they land on a weekend. So you're watching the calendar and you're hoping for clouds, overcast, and rain just on Sunday morning. The rest of it can be sunny, but we just want Sunday morning storm. That's what we want because people come to church. This is me being a tad bit fleshy, but I'm just giving you insights to the brokenness that is my depraved soul. We missed budget, okay? We're in the process of, of all kinds of wonderful things. We have saved for this, so, the, so we know summer's coming, but I like saying we haven't missed budget in a year and a half. I like it a lot. This last month, we missed budget again. At this point, I'm like, what is happening? Who is leading this church, and why aren't they doing something about this? And then I'm like, that's me. And why didn't I see this coming, and I should have given updates anyhow, or done more Facebook videos, or I should have started a, a better marketing campaign. I know what we should do, a mailer. I mean, I was just rolling through ideas, and here's what you may or may not know about me. Our church doesn't market. Nor have we ever done a mailer in the history of our church. Ever. It's not our thing. It's not what we're about. We want face-to-face -face invitation. That's what sticks. That's what matters. We're not looking to, to, to do it that way. And yet suddenly I'm throwing out ideas and plans and thoughts that, that frankly are, are not good. But yet I feel like they, they, they might fix it. See, I read these stories. I read the stories of Paul doing his thing, and I start to ask, why would God allow him to be stoned? Why wouldn't he just turn him away or make the, 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 the rocks turn into, you know, soft bread? Or why not, why not give him, you know, super strength to receive the beatings? Why are all these things happening? And with huge clarity this week while studying, here's what I've come to realize about folks that desire to be leaders. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Everyone has access to Jesus. His arms are wide open. Not everyone has access to leadership. God anoints and calls and pulls certain people for certain seasons to lead certain things. And if leaders can do one simple thing, I've learned it's be able to take a punch. 
It's to be able to step up and say, that was me, or take a punch for something they didn't do without retaliating, without throwing their team under the bus, truly be able to stand in the gap that God has called you to stand in and take whatever comes. And I started reading all these things about Paul and about all these things he experienced, and I suddenly began to realize, do you realize that Paul, like you, like I, was made of flesh, that he had these feelings, that he had these insecurities, that he had that pride that all of us had, that Adam and Eve all the way down through us causes, continues to cause when we want to stand in the center of the garden that is our lives. And if you were someone who was healing people, casting out demons, causing people to spring up with, with whole lives, if you were someone experiencing that kind of power from God, you best believe he's going to shipwreck you every once in a while just to remind you who's in charge. Because naturally, you're going to start to think, I got this. I was built for this. Someone asked me, are you worried about the church getting huge? I said, not at all. They said, why? I said, because I did it so badly before when it was huge that I have all these woundings. And there's some truth to that. God shipwrecked my mega church ministry. So now I'm walking into another one, right, that God is growing and accomplishing and doing. And I have no desire for the church to be any bigger than it is now. But I also have no desire for the church to stay the same. I want it to develop and grow and be, whether that means church planting or missions or I don't know and I don't care and I really don't, which is why I take great pride in my gotness because I've let go of all that. And then God's, God's like, cool, we're going to let the finances dip for two months. And I'm like, whoa, Lord, let's keep that. Hold on. I got it as long as we're flying exactly where I think we should go. See, Paul walks into these missions now and he knows I'm going to roll this town is what he knows. I'm going to do stuff their own gods have never done. It's going to be amazing. And without some of the suffering and the experiences that he's going through, I think Paul's life would have ended a complete sham because he, like every other person in there, would have seen it through his own vision. He would have seen it through his own perspective. He would have adopted it into his own truth. And he would have said, I got this. And so time after time, God is reminding him, you don't have anything. You're just a tool to be used by me. And I'm going to bring glory to myself through you. And I'm going to give you a life you could have never lived before. I want to give you this gift. Because this happened to me this week when I was studying this, when I was reading this. And it's a simple quote from Paul Tripp. He was a man I was studying when I was looking at this message. And he said this, People need to realize when it comes to suffering that biblical faith will never require that you have to deny reality. You never have to deny the suffering and the hurt and the pain and the dysfunction. You never have to say to God and frankly anybody else, it's always going to be okay. As a matter of fact, it's not even part of your calling to be okay. That's not even part of the deal. So when people are like, how are you? Like, I'm okay, man. Are you? If you are, be okay. But it's not part of the package. If you're hurting, if you're learning, if you're shipwrecked relationally, this is all pretty normal stuff according to the Bible. Because God is using you and he's taking you to places that you have never been so that you can be to people someone you have never been. Acts 14, 22 Paul says, we are strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is just the reality. And these blessings, these struggles that you've gone through without the right perspective become your version of truth or your version of despair or your version of discouragement. When in reality, when you see them from God's perspective, they become his version of blessing, his version of brokenness that you and I both need. We need our hearts of stone broken. We need them replaced with hearts of flesh. And those hearts of flesh, we keep preaching it, people, can be torn, can be ripped. They decay, they rot. So we kind of every once in a while, want to turn them back in for that heart of stone because that thing is perfect. Nobody can hurt me. But God's wanting to replace it with something that is contrite. Something that bleeds. Something very messianic. Something very Jesus. This is the blessing of these 
sufferings. This is the blessing of these trials. And this is what God brought upon me. This reality that sometimes you can say, I'm not going to control it. And by saying you're not controlling it, you're controlling it. When instead what people probably should say, and by people I mean Danny, hey, I'm working really hard not to control that thing I want to control. But man, do I want to control it. Because I think we could fix this thing with a couple flyers, just a couple marketing things. Right? Any, no? Okay, well, I tried. So back to the Holy Spirit's message instead of my own. God wants to take you on this journey. And he's going to want to take you across oceans, and he's going to want to take you into towns, and he's going to want to take you uh, into conversations and relationships and soul-searching uh, self-evaluations that all apparently from the outside bring harm to you. And yet what I see is that God is very surgical in how he allows his children to suffer, and it is always in a way that brings glory to him and always in a way that benefits us. I wanted to unpack this more, and so I found this beautiful article on this topic, and I want to give you these, uh, I want to give you these five things that, that blessed me that I think will bless you when it comes to being a church that learns how to persevere through struggles and suffering. First, suffering is multifaceted. It has many faces. Again, these are all Paul verses. He is our leader through this, 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Just within this verse, Paul lists multiple types of suffering, mental suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering. Each of these are different ways that we can suffer. And when suffering comes, often several of these types of suffering are involved. This is important for us because sometimes we won't suffer how other people suffer and so we'll deem their suffering less. That's why Paul mentions everything from shipwreck to anxiety. People are like, you shouldn't have anxiety if you're a Christian. You should tell that to Paul. And apparently you should take sailing lessons because he's always wrecked. He's always, he needs survival skills. He needs all kinds of things he apparently isn't good at. And God just keeps calling him. Wouldn't you think after like the third time getting called into a boat, he's like, I just don't, I think I'll do land ministry. Because I'm, this whole boat thing doesn't, this is not going well for me. I just, I think sometimes we see people walking down paths and we want to stop them without realizing God is the one calling them because we've never suffered how they've suffered. And then we judge them and then we partner with them poorly because it's important to learn how to partner in suffering and perseverance because suffering happens in community. Christians still suffer as we wait for Jesus to return, but none of our suffering is random or without purpose. This is because the church is not meant to be loosely bound, and my friends, suffering pulls us together. It is a common language. If you ever end up in a church where the pastor doesn't admit to suffering, find a different church. Because how are you going to relate to that? How are we going to connect to one another if we're not hurting together? And if you go to a church where the pastor only talks about suffering and there's never any soaring, go to a different church. The reality is we suffer, we soar, we wrestle, we have arguments, we, we, we're figuring this out, and God knows we're figuring it out. And his grace through scripture and spirit continues to bless us. But it takes community, it takes being willing to sit together uh, tightly bound Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The church is meant to be a refuge and a burden-bearing institution for suffering people. We are meant to lift up other people. But the only way that you and I are going to have arms strong enough or even empty enough to go lift up someone else's burden of suffering is if we have help with the burdens of suffering we're carrying ourselves. That's why some of you don't help out much. It isn't because you don't want to. It's because you don't, you don't know how to be vulnerable enough to hand some of your suffering over to someone else who's gifted at that kind of suffering so that you have a free arm to grab a hold of someone who's waiting for you to help them. You're so consumed with your own stuff and your control or lack of control of it that you don't even see the people around you that you could be helping. 
We are called to bear one another's burdens, and that means it's going to be heavy. That means it's going to be difficult. That means we need to see these things. When a member is hurting, the church applies the bandages. When a member is down, the church encourages. When a member is in need, the church comes alongside to help. We are supposed to be this light in the darkness, and we're supposed to be really, really good at it. Now, some of you are awesome at it. Some of you, not so much. Because you're so consumed with making sure that your calling looks shiny and good and never has any failure in it, that it would be just completely counterintuitive to be vulnerable and, and, and receive help from someone else. Yes, that would free up some of my life to go help people, but man, I don't want people to think of me as someone who isn't successful and isn't well established. And yet Paul lists for all time how terrible he is apparently in a lot of ministry. I mean, if he can list the failures for us to relate, we need to be able to list failures for other people so that we can relate and so in that way form a community boundly, strongly bounded. Mm, I don't like either of those. We'll edit that out and put something in later. We need to be a community that finds strength in togetherness. And if we can do that, then God can continue to bring glory to himself through our ministries because suffering equips us for ministry. First-hand experience in suffering is essential in equipping you to be a leader and to serve. I told you, everybody has access to Jesus. Not everybody has access to leadership slash ministry leadership specifically. And the reason I already alluded to earlier is because most of us can't take a punch. Because we get offended so easy or we have to say our, our, our peace. Or here's the biggest one that I hear. And this is when I really know that a person probably can't lead for me or lead in this community. I cannot be disrespected in that way. And I'm like, why not? You've got to be a pretty solid center of your world to demand that no one ever disrespect you. I mean, you've got to know your stuff to demand that no one ever disrespect you. They can, they can confront me, but it's gonna be with respect, someone once told me. And I'm like, wait, you're gonna sit in a room with broken people who have questions about what you're telling them, and unless they ask it in a non-broken person way, fully respectful, you're not going to help them? That's like saying someone who's drowning needs to swim over and ask for help. Like, mm, hey, real quick, I was wondering, I was thinking I might die. Could you throw me that rope? No, I'll wait. That's fine. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. Are you serious? Drowning people pound you, they claw you, they scream at you, they get mad at you. You want to go out into a world of drowning broken people and require they swim well first? Have you ever considered this about your life? I know it's hilarious, but the truth is some of you, this is actually how you live. You demand respect from your children before you show them you're all giving fatherly love. You respect, demand respect from your husband before you'll show him partnership, courtesy, and kindness. You demand respect from your coworkers before you'll do a full day's work. You demand respect from church people before you'll grab a hand. You don't get that stuff on me. My world is centered. My world, I'm ready. This is what Paul writes. He writes, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's the problem with people that demand respect for themselves. Generally speaking, they have the littlest amount of respect for God. Because, and I mean this so kindly, God does not respect you. He made you. He loves you. He hopes for you. But he, he and, and in a sense, he'll stand back and let you have your will. But God does not say, oh, Danny, tell me what to do next. Oh, Danny, sure seems like you've got some good experience in this area. You go ahead and lead the way. I'll just come behind and bless your leftovers. God does not. He demands the respect. 
And when you demand respect from other people, then you lose your ability to be comforted by a God who you realize because of your own depravity, you cannot reach. And then what happens because you realize you cannot reach him, when you see somebody thrashing towards you that you realize cannot reach you, you have the ability within your soul to have compassion upon them because you saw God have compassion upon you and you swim out and you receive every claw and scratch and curse all the way back to land. Because God did the same for you. I love this one uh, gentleman. He wrote, Suffering and Sovereignty of God. This is what he wrote about being people who are willing to be equipped for ministry and so endure the, the suffering and um, uh, desire of God for us to be in ministry through that process. He says this, when you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what he says, you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What, are you, what you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measures to others. You are learning both the tenderness, I love this, and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. See, you cannot help someone else within their deepest issue if you yourself have never been drowning in the deep. You cannot help someone else. And so lead and be a part of ministry development and the gospel's movement unless you can be led and a part of ministry development and the gospel's movement. We are all part of this beautiful rhythm and harmony that is God bringing the universe back to himself. But if you've decided you're now going to be the band orchestrator and tap, 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 everybody just follow me. I've got the best new song in town. Then guess what? You're going to end up with people who think like you, sing like you, dance like you, and decay like you. Where God says suffering is part of the song. It's not the whole song. But man, is it a strong baseline. And man, do we fall into it a lot. And so why not, like the earlier gentleman said, face reality and proclaim it as part of the gospel. It's what brought you to him in the first place when you knew you weren't enough. Those of you, real quick, you're, you're looking for Jesus. You will not find him unless you realize how badly you need Jesus. There is no eloquent speaker. There is no book I can give you. And I've had a lot of you ask, none of it's going to happen until you realize you're here because your soul is thirsty and you're tired of drinking the garbage you've been drinking. That's it. It's simple. It's not very romantic, but it's truth. And when you stop drinking the garbage this world has offered, and you go to the one who offers eternal water, then you will find wholeness of self. All of us in this room who are Christ followers, we all believe this. If you are a Christ follower, you believe this. Why have you forgotten it? Why have you embraced this idea that suddenly you're good enough and suddenly you have a life worth coaching and helping other people? This is not how our lives are meant to be lived. We are to be people who embrace the reality of our hurt and of our suffering. And we need to be people who, when we see others who are hurting and suffering, can put on the eyes of remembrance and connect with their hearts and say, I know what it's like to have my life and my lungs full of this world's offerings. I know what that's like. I know how lonely it is. I know how sad it is. And I weep with you and I hurt with you and I carry the burden of your distress with you. And no, I don't have have any answers for you. I have none, but here's what I do have. I have a God who through worshiping him and through being a part of the persevering process of his developing righteousness have found meaning in my life and my lungs are clear and the breath of life has filled my heart. And now suddenly wherever he asked me to go, I go. And today, my friend, you could tell someone God asked me to come to you. Because I'm going to stand on this stage right now and tell you God's asked me today to tell you this. I didn't even want to preach this sermon. This happens a lot lately. So much so that now I worry I'm going to start saying it and people are going to be like, he never wants to preach any sermon. I don't even know why he's a preacher. <laughs> I am so caught up in the reality that God is equipping us for ministry through de-equipping us for ministry. I am so thrown off that I have controlled by not controlling. 
that I have stepped into the center of something God's doing by proclaiming I'm really good at not stepping into the center of something God is doing. Maybe you are too. Maybe we all are. Lastly, suffering is a battleground. Wherever there is suffering, there is a battle for your soul. One that curses God because of suffering or one that praises God even in the midst of suffering. Paul says to the Philippians, but I press on to make my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My favorite part of this entire verse is that he presses onward toward the goal for the upward prize, and he does it in the earlier passage. He does it because he doesn't look back. He doesn't look back, and this is really important, because he doesn't not only look back at the failures, but he doesn't look back at the successes. He doesn't say, look at this great thing I've done. Of course I'll be okay in the future. He doesn't say, look at this terrible thing I've done. Of course I'll bomb in the future. He says, I press on. Because God called me to get on another ship. He called me to preach to another town. He called me to walk into another pagan village. He told me to confront the priests again. But last time, but last time, but last time. Do you know so many of you in this room have lived your lives basically prefacing everything you try and accomplish with, but last time. But last time. But last time. God says, listen, last time I was there. And you're here now. And this coming time, I'll be there. He says, I'm doing all this for one purpose, all of this, in order for suffering to prepare you for more glory that you're going to offer for me. God says a lot about this all throughout Scripture. He says, basically, that our lives are being lived as an offering before him, and this is the way in which he wants to accomplish that. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I know for many of you that this is like sandpaper. I know for many of you, you're thinking, God wants to make me small so he can make himself bigger. Yep. That's right. Because God bigger moves him back towards the center of the universe. And when he's the big center of the universe, everything runs in harmony. And all of our lives are stronger and better for it. Not perfect. Not without harm. But lived out towards this harmony that he's going to bring to the universe when one day he comes and restores it all. We're part of that. You are part of that. This is where your meaning lies. So many young people right now, what's the meaning of life? So many middle-aged people, what's the meaning of life? So many older people, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is for you to find your purpose and your calling and accomplish it. But most of us don't because we're too afraid to fail and suffer. And yet God says it's through the failing and the suffering that you're gonna experience me and so find your meaning in helping other people who are afraid to fail and suffer. It's really not that complicated. It's just not sexy. Everybody wants it to be sexy. Everybody wants it to be like, nah, it's got to be more like, I want to feel good. It doesn't feel good. And yet what's so great is that as we set down our dreams in exchange for God, suddenly he brings us wholeness of relationship. Suddenly he brings us authentic connection, authentic community, authentic peace. Suddenly we're like Paul saying, I can't believe I get to live this life. Look what I'm doing. And eventually even gets to the point after listing all of those terrible experiences in ministry, he says to the people, and he has said to the entire church, be like me. Be like you? And he's like, you know what his undertone is? Yeah, man, because no one has ever lived as satisfied as me. No one has ever lived as content as me. And I am all these things. To be human is to be all these things along with this righteousness that God is developing. And so he says, be like me. Be human. Be frail. Be broken. Be bloody. Be scared, be afraid, be hungry, be naked, experience all of those things and continue to offer those up for God's glory so that he can overcome and introduce through his intimacy more and more and more and more and more of who he is 
so that one day we are so filled to the brim with the goodness of God that there is no one in our world that we don't feel like we can go love and search after and seek after in the name of Jesus Christ who gets all the glory for it anyways. How incredible is that? See, people have asked, what's happening at Kesed next? That's what's happening next. That's the strategy. We're going to be like Paul. We're going to embrace our brokenness. We're going to embrace our suffering. And we're going to learn what it means to recognize when we're drowning. And we're going to help one another so that when we are confronted with more uh, experiences and more struggle and more darkness, we can relate back to our own experiences, struggle, and darkness and say, God, I know what that's like. Send me. I'll pay that price. I'll go after that person. Whether they claw me, whether they curse me, whether they scratch me, I will, God, I will use me, God. I respect you so much. Allow me to be the one that's disrespected. that is the opposite of a quality marketing campaign, by the way. And it's not my idea. It's just scripture. We want to be a church in town that loves people who disrespect us. And the way in which we respond to that is so overwhelming to them that they want to know how. Because all of that, all that suffering, all that perseverance gives glory to God. There's one last story I want to close with of Paul. It says he's on another journey with another companion, Silas. This is uh, chapter 16. And it says that he's preaching the word and he's doing his thing. And once again, again, he gets attacked. And again, he gets thrown in prison. Verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods again. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And then listen to Paul. Verse 25, listen to Paul, verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine? It doesn't say that Silas was beaten earlier, so perhaps this is his first time, perhaps this is all new to him. I imagine they're sitting in that cell at night, those shackles upon their hands, there's a torch of some kind that lights enough for them to see each other's faces and finally as some of the swelling goes down enough to open their eyes Paul looks over at Silas who's scared to death and he smiles he's just got blood caked across his teeth and running through his beard and Silas says Paul we're gonna die tomorrow and Paul says probably And then he looks at him with his one good eye and he says, or maybe not. And then he rehashes with him, being in the storm, the last time he was beat, that one time that he was thrown into a hole, this other time that someone caught him from behind and he awoke to stones being thrown against his body. And he says, Silas, I don't know if we're going to die tomorrow. All I know is I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And then he says, do you know that that song? And I don't know what song they sang. I wish they would have listed it. But they start singing in prison. They start worshiping God. And they have church. Now, I don't know what price you paid to come here today. And I don't know what price God's going to ask as you leave here and, and you, you pray like we, some of us have to experience more of his presence. But I know this, these men paid a very high one and still were brought full of worship and God's presence. And so today, we're going to symbolically enter that cell with them. We're going to move into a time of communion and we're going to take this bread and we're going to take this juice. We're going to go back to our seats And then we're just going to move into that cell with them, just singing in the dark, just 
proclaiming the goodness of God over whatever difficult situation we are carrying in this room with us. Whatever situations are keeping us in the past from a beautiful future with him, whatever anxiety is keeping us from the story we know we're called to live with him, and we're going to sing and we're going to be present in that cell, spiritually smiling back through bloodied teeth, proclaiming God's glory and God's goodness, or proclaiming our anxiety or our fear, or raising hands because we're drowning, or being frustrated or being angry, angry or being whatever it is we are that God wants us to be fully before him and then together when we're ready we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the juice and we're going to participate in the cross of Christ that brought glory to every single one of our stories and is still doing so now this is what it means to experience kessed steadfast merciful love it is to be present with God inside our stuff not beside our stuff, and to bring him glory through it as through his strength we overcome it. Let's just pray now. Lord, we thank you for this time of communion. We thank you, Father, for the way in which you are blessing us, the way in which you are restoring us, the way in which you are bringing newness to our souls. And so as we come down now, Father, to receive this. We just ask for your blessing upon it. Thank you, God, for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.